Before I pray this morning for our, before the message, I want you to be aware that I'm presenting my message to you in an unusual way this morning. I'm going to present it as I would a conversation I'm having with God as I prepare to preach. This will give you a little bit of a window into my sermon preparation process, and you are invited to listen in as God and I discuss what it is that He wants me to communicate to you today. You got it? Okay, <laughs> then let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. We're certainly grateful for your scripture, your word of comfort that comes to us. Thank you that the call of Isaiah says, comfort my people. And oh God, may we receive that today by your spirit, by your word, by your promises. Meet us where we are in all of the assaults of our lives that we have around us. God, may we sense your presence and your power here today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. God, is that you? Yes, it's me. Uh, Lord, you have a female voice. <laughs> yeah, I have many voices and speak many languages. I speak through my prophets, the wind, rain, thunder. I even speak through silence. Is it a problem that I speak with a female voice? No, I was just thinking. I know what you were thinking. <laughs> okay, right. Lord, I sense that your words uh, to the prophet Isaiah are words you would like me to communicate to your people at Living Faith. And I agree, comfort is a real need for your people. But I do have a question. How am I supposed to comfort your people? They are discomforted by the fact that they're in a wilderness situation caused by all kinds of problems. We have natural problems, national problems of poverty and racial conflict and bitter acrimony in our public discourse. We're in a culture war that plays out every day in politics and media. Our world is filled with wars, not only between Israel and Hamas and Gaza, and between Russia and Ukraine, but also in many African, Asian, and South American countries. There doesn't seem to be peace anywhere. So back to my question, how am I supposed to comfort your people in the midst of all these problems? I don't have the power to change their circumstances, but you do. So what do you want me to do? Speak tenderly to my people. Tell them that I am here and have never left them. Tell them I am ready to forgive their sins and restore them to wholeness. Tell them that I can and will make all things new. Tell them that I am present and always at work. Tell them I see them and I hear their cries. I see their tears and understand their conflicts and griefs. Tell them I am always inviting them into a deeper connection to me. Yes, Lord, I, I can do that. In fact, we've already been telling your people some of these things. Lord, if you don't mind my asking, why don't you just come down and put all things to the right? Your people have been waiting for that for a long time. I know. That is what my people have always wanted. But they usually aren't ready for me to act. Aren't ready? What do you mean? What my people often miss is that there are preparations that need to be made before I come. There is a process required to prepare for me, and quite frankly, my people do not like the process. They like mountaintop experiences, but they don't like the training and work it takes to climb the mountain. Preparation usually involves seeking me in the midst of suffering. It usually involves waiting and longing, other things that are difficult. Today's Old Testament lesson was from Isaiah. Listen to it again. 
In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So we are supposed to prepare a way for you in the wilderness. Where exactly do you want us to do that, Lord? I visited the wilderness of Zin in Israel, just below the Dead Sea. It's a desolate and expansive wilderness, a place where your people Israel wandered for a time. Is that where you want us to build the highway? And how do you want us to do it? Should we all move to Israel and buy some excavators and bulldozers and start building a highway? You're being a bit too literal, Carl. My people are already in the wilderness. I have a way of getting people in a position where their interests are piqued and they are ready to listen. I did that in Jesus' time through the ministry of John the Baptist. He was a great preacher, calling people to salvation through repentance and baptism for the forgiveness of their sins. Now that my people are in the wilderness again, right where I want them, I want them to make preparation for me. It is not at all about moving earth. It is about preparing their hearts for my coming. I guess you're talking about our sinful behaviors and attitudes, right? We know our sins separate us from you, and they make us poor representatives of you and your kingdom. It's amazing that you show us grace and mercy and forgive our sins. Thank you that your character is always to show mercy. We've been talking about that recently. Just last week, Father Peter talked about introspection and repentance in his sermon. Yes, I heard that. Good sermon. (laughs) Did you hear that, Peter? (laughs) I hope he says the same about my sermon today. (laughs) Some people didn't like it. Uh, They would rather have a Merry Christmas sermon, so I'm glad you did. Well, that's the way it is sometimes. My people don't always want to hear the truth. Sometimes you have to make them feel uncomfortable before they can know my comfort. Your job is not to please them, but to please me. Just be sure you are speaking my words. Duly noted, Lord. There is something I have been wondering about for a long time. Sometimes in your absence, your people and I seek out comforts and peace and other things than you. You know about that, don't you? Are you referring to your tendency to put your trust in nations and leaders? Are you referring to your tendency to trust in the stock market and your bank accounts? Your attempts to cover all the bases so you don't need to wait for and trust in me? That is what you mean. My people have always done that. Yeah, I suppose so. That is what I mean. Yes, I know all about that. I also know about your comfort food, your comfort drinks, comfort Netflix and Prime TV shows, your comfort chairs and couches and comfort clothes. Really? You know about all that, Lord? Yeah, I I suppose you do. People in your time don't think they have idols, but these things they seek comfort in apart from me are like idols. People use all kinds of things to substitute for the comfort and peace that only I can give them. Like what? Well, they use drugs and alcohol. They shop for and buy things they don't need. They spend hours scanning social media for cute pictures and videos and quirky quotes that make them feel good. They form social groups around their pet interests and projects apart from me. Is all that wrong, God? No, not all of it. I've given people lots of things to give them comfort. Food, clothing, shelter, friends and family, the beauty of nature, and all of life. But when people use these things as substitutes for me, 
It is a problem. When they are not seeking my face and my favor to meet their essential needs, that's a problem. Well, why exactly? All those things bring only temporary relief and comfort. People end up chasing that fleeting relief and comfort all the time. It's like grass, beautiful for its moment, but it is soon scorched by the heat of the sun and withers away. People grasp for them, but they are empty in their hands. That's what idols are like. And the problem is this. These things control them. My people waste their time and their lives chasing and serving them. Most importantly, these things keep my people away from me and from serving my kingdom purposes. Now that's a problem. I see. That is serious. I can see why you might call that idolatry. Well then, getting back to my original question, what do you want me to do? How can I comfort your people like you asked? What do I have to offer? You need to tell them about my promises. You need to tell them the truth of my word. You need to encourage them to give attention to the word of God so that they can build their lives upon its strong foundation of truth and my promises, which give enduring hope. Blake prayed at the beginning of the service, the collect of the day. Did you hear what he was reading? Well, yeah, but I was sort of thinking about my sermon right then. I thought you were distracted. So read it again and pay attention this time. Okay, God. Blessed Lord, that's you, who caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, and learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given to us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. I just noticed the word comfort is in there, the comfort of your holy word. That's pretty good, Lord. Yeah, that was my idea. If you take time to study my word, you will realize how important my word and promises have been to my people for their comfort. David was one of my favorites, and he loved my word. It was a guide and comfort to him. In Psalm 119, he wrote, This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promises give me life. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord, and let your steadfast love comfort me according to the, your promise to your servant. Paul was my zealous rabbi. When he finally met and submitted to my son Jesus, he was an incredible servant to me. He also loved my word. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. Wow, that's great. The Isaiah passage we read today said, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. That is comforting. Your word is great. It will never fail us. Those are wonderful words. And yet I kind of wonder whether words are enough. We'll never underestimate the power of words. My words are living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Words have the power of life and death. The word of God and the holy sacrament mediate my presence to my people. I guess that is why we have two parts to our worship service. That's right, my son. Further, if you recall, my son Jesus is also called the Word of God. Yes, thanks for that reminder. 
Your word has been a big part of my life ever since I started following your son, Jesus. And it has transformed my life. And as a pastor, I have seen its power to affect change in your people's lives. That is true. I need to keep that in mind. I don't want to seem disrespectful, but what I mean to say is this. It is really you that we need. I recall one of my favorite passages that describes you as our comforter. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 1 where Paul calls you the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our affliction. Paul goes on to say that you comfort us so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with a comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That is so cool. It's, it's like passing a relay baton. You comfort us in our troubles and then we are able to comfort others in their troubles And then those people can comfort others in their troubles, and on and on it goes. That's the way I planned it. I recall a passage in 1 Thessalonians 4 where Paul encouraged Jesus' followers to comfort one another with these words. The promises of your word are designed to comfort us, and we're supposed to help one another listen to God's word and find our comfort and peace there. I think I'm starting to get what you are saying. My passion is to create a people who will call upon my name and who will work together to be a witness to my unshakable kingdom in the world. That is what Israel was supposed to do, and that is the mission of my church. My people are to be a welcoming community for a desperate, broken, and anxious world. The metaphors in our passage today remind me of your comfort. You're like a warrior king who comes and fights for us and rewards us. Behold your God, behold the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. You're also like a shepherd who watches out for us. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. I love those images. They help me see you in concrete ways. Yeah, all the good things of life are metaphors for me. That is the way I designed the universe. It reflects my glorious character and my righteous rule. The problem is that quite often my people do not stop to see the beauty, the good, all the places where I am working in and among them. My comfort is present throughout the world in large and small things, but people often miss it because of their busyness and distractions. That is one of the reasons I led my people to observe seasons like Advent. It gives them a time to stop and reflect, a time to wake up and be alert to me and my goodness, a time to remember that I am truly the God of all comfort. We are trying to do that together as a church this Advent, to remember that you are the God of all comfort, so that's good. If I remember rightly, Lord, I think this is true of every person of the Trinity, right? I mean, you are all comforters. When Jesus was declaring to his disciples the reality that he was going to depart back to the place from which he came, he promised that he would ask you, the Father, to send them another comforter. The other comforter he spoke about is identified as the Holy Spirit, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Thus the Holy Spirit is a comforter, just like you are the God of all comfort. Acts 9.31 confirms this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. 
Now, when Jesus said another comforter, he was making as much a statement about himself as he was the Holy Spirit. Another comforter replaces the comforter who was departing Jesus himself. That makes all three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit comforters. You know, that's rather comforting. I know. What all this means is that I am all your people at living faith need. My word points them to me. The Holy Spirit uses my word to convince them of the truth. My spirit makes them alive and places them into my son, Christ Jesus. And Jesus delivers them up to me where they are hidden with Christ in me. My people live and abide in me, and I am the source of all their comfort. I am their life. That is why all the other things people seek their comfort from apart from me are idols. That makes me wonder whether your command to be thankful for everything helps us to keep in mind that all those things are gifts from your hand rather than idols to be sought. That's a good insight, Carl. But what about all the affliction these passages are speaking about? I mean, that is why your people seek temporary comforts. They're hurting. They're lonely, and they feel abandoned. They want comfort, and they want it now. And you sometimes seem distant and make them wait. Well, that is what the preparation and waiting is all about. I have purposes in the world that you and my people do not know about. St. Peter told you about one of those purposes in 2 Peter 3, the passage that was read earlier. It may seem to you and my people that I am slow to fulfill my promises, but I am not willing that anyone should perish, but that all might come to repentance. My patience means salvation for many. Rather than striving against that and complaining, I want my people to join with me in my purposes so that everyone might be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's a lot to consider, God. That's good stuff, so thanks. I know, and you're welcome. I've learned over the years that the things I've suffered have shaped my character and determined the direction of my life. My suffering has also given me opportunities to share your comfort with others who have suffered similar things as me. It's almost like you designed it to be that way. That's deep. Yeah, you have no idea how deep it is. <laughs> I remember when Paul was writing about your election in Romans 9 through 11. I think he went as far as he could go in seeking to understand your mysteries, and he wrote a beautiful doxology. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom of, and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. That's how I feel right now, Lord. And rightly so. Before we finish, Lord, let me just mention one more thing. You were referencing 2 Peter 3 passage a moment ago, and St. Peter mentioned our need to wait for the fulfillment of your promises three times. It is a lot of good instruction for your people while they're waiting. Consider what kind of people you ought to be in lives of holiness and godliness. Be diligent to be found by you without spot or blemish and at peace and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, all that would make a great sermon, Lord. I think I'll put that together and preach it. I think we just did. 
You're right again, Lord. We just did. Let us pray. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen. Our musicians had a prelude this morning that was wonderful and it fits a great time for us just to stop, to meditate, and to rest in the thoughts and promises we've just heard. So listen and meditate as they lead us. Green of Eden, 
desert. 